I'm Sarah Myerskoff and this is the Insurance Brokers Podcast where we're talking to the personalities and the businesses that sit behind our industry. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe on your chosen podcast streaming platform. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Rob. Thank you very, very much for joining me this morning on the Insurance Brokers Podcast. I am excited to learn about this because we are talking about all things electric vehicle and I have a hybrid. So I'm interested to learn what I should be thinking of as a consumer, but also uh, uh, as a business owner. So welcome to you both. Do you want to introduce uh, yourselves and your team and your role? And then I can start asking you some questions. Stephen. Morning, Sarah. Uh, thanks for inviting us on. Um, so I'm the uh, lead for our EV strategy within uh, Direct Line Group. So my role is looking at and coordinating EV activity across our whole business. Uh, and I guess essentially trying to be the voice of an EV driver within our business so that every decision we make is, is future-proofed and thinking about where the technology is going and how we make life easier for our customers as they make the transition from ICE vehicles to electric vehicles. Rob, tell me, who are you? What do you do? And why are we here? Hi, Sarah. Lovely to be on the show today. Um, as I say, I'm Rob Durbin. Uh, I work at Direct Line Group uh, with Steve also. Uh, my area is within the commercial side of the business. So um, we have a few different areas within commercial, uh, stretching from broker facing to partnership businesses. Uh, but I am the dedicated EV and flexible fleet underwriter across our commercial business. So that means all the things that we should or shouldn't be doing or looking at with EVs within the commercial space from an underwriting perspective come through myself. Um, and when we talk about flexi fleet, that's all the things that are kind of becoming more prevalent these days around usership of vehicles, uh, things like subscription, salary sacrifice. Uh, and I kind of act in a, a head office role in, in terms of that sort of eye of Sauron, looking at everything that's going on in that space and, and underwriting it. Fabulous. So I'm going to learn a lot. Can we start with the very basics? Because as I said, this is uh, very much your guys uh, uh, day job. And I'm uh, really interested from a consumer base and the people listening will be advising their own clients, either commercial or, or personal around their their use of it. So if I'm asking stupid questions, hopefully it's because other people have them too. Um, can we start with electric vehicles? I suppose are an emerging risk because they're relatively new to the market. They, they, they work very differently from ICE vehicles um, and uh, there are different considerations. So I suppose from an underwriting perspective, can you talk me through some of those different thoughts and, 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 and issues that are arising or have arisen? I'm thinking particularly about um, in the early, early days, there was a lot in the news about fire risk and things like that. Um, so, this, 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 uh, to be honest, this kind of there's a, a piece around mist busting with EVs, especially. I mean, you say they are def definitely an emerging risk. Um, although EVs have been around since about 2013, um, they are probably considered nothing new at the moment. What is new is the, um, you know, the apparent rise in their popularity and numbers and affordability. So that's being driven primarily for a few different avenues. Uh, there's a lot more conscientiousness in the public around climate change. 
Um, also, you know, cost of living, cost of fuel prices, especially last year, was driving a lot of people to shift to EVs. And that meant there was an increased influx of interest. And I think what we're seeing at the moment, and Steve might be able to correct me on this figure, but, you know, over the last couple of years, we've seen a downturn in the amount of ICE vehicles, internal combustion vehicles that are being registered each month in the UK. EVs is the only proportion of that motor market that's actually been increasing month on month over the last 18 months. So so with that increase in, in you know, purchasing and acquiring of, of EV vehicles, there's been a lot more focus around, you know, what what goes along with those EVs and what, what goes on in the insurance market, especially because, I mean, when you look at a vehicle, especially uh, well, if you're purchasing a vehicle, insurance is usually the second highest cost that you put into a vehicle bar the actual purchase and fuel cost. So there's a lot of conversation going on around at the moment about, you know, how how do you insure an EV? Who insures an EV? What are the considerations to make, as you say? So, in terms of those, uh, that original question you mentioned around the sort of this fire risk with the batteries and things like that, what I would the short answer is that I think that is a at this point it's a bit of an old wives' tale in terms of uh, or scaremongering around EVs because um, in terms of the actual claims that we're seeing from EVs, that's just not not what we're seeing. Um, it's very rare that. Um, fire in a bit well we obviously get fire claims in vehicles but when they if they actually originate from the battery i can I, I i've not heard of a claim on our books where that's occurred um a lot of vehicles these days actually have fire safety mechanisms and kill switches to that means that the electricity within the battery is isolated almost immediately upon impact um in some cases unfortunately that can mean that the battery is is kind of almost decommissioned immediately in, in the event of a heavy impact. And that's where we see some of the higher claims costs within EVs, because the battery uh, in some vehicles can be as much as 75% of the total cost of a vehicle. And wow. I think, uh, yeah, so, uh, and in some cars even higher. So if you, uh, there are manufacturers out there who are obviously very safety conscientious around the batteries. Um, so in the event of an incident, it will, essentially decommission the, the battery almost immediately. Uh, what that does mean is that it's safer for the drivers to drive those EVs, definitely. Um, what it means from our perspective as insurers is that you do have higher claims costs, especially in a total loss situation. So um, I don't know if that answers your question. I kind of It does, <laughs> and it's given me another one, which might be, um, might be one for you, uh, uh, Stephen. Um, when... It's related to the claims cost uh, and, and therefore presumably a higher premium. Uh, so my question is, when people are thinking of buying a vehicle, what are the barriers to buying an electric vehicle that you are seeing? What sort of things are you hearing in the marketplace? So I think as, as Rob touched on, there's, there's probably a bit of myth or confusion out there because people are viewing electric vehicles as, as something that's new. Um, something that's a bit different. Uh, obviously, we're, you, you know, anyone who's had a, a petrol or a diesel or even a hybrid car, you know, you you know, for example, you know, you you'll be out on the road if you if you're running low on petrol, you're pretty confident you're going to find a petrol station relatively close wherever you happen to be. 
Um, and therefore, you, you're not really worried about how far can I go. I'm pretty sure I certainly have never gone into a garage when I've tried to buy a car and said, how many miles can I go on one tank of petrol? It's not really something people think about. Whereas with EVs, people, because batteries are a new thing, um, what we come across is charge and range anxiety. So that's the, the fear of, will I be able to charge my car? And also, how far will it go on a charge? Will I be able to make the journeys that I make uh, in my petrol or, or diesel car? Can I do the same in, a, in an electric vehicle? So, you know, electric cars have come a long way since Rob said, you know, back in 2013, if you were getting a Nissan Leaf or a Renault Zoe, which would be the, the two sort of popular uh, initial EVs, yeah, you probably were able to go maybe 100, 150 miles in range, which isn't going to meet the needs of, of everybody. But now, you know, you've got Teslas, which are 300 plus, and, and most of the EVs that are coming out now are, you know, 200 plus miles. And, and on average, I think most most people who would drive a car, especially post-pandemic, where we've changed our lifestyles, when you think about it, how often do you travel more than two or 300 miles in, in a week, let alone in one journey? So the idea that, you know, you won't be able to go far enough in your car probably is a, is a bit of a myth, unless you are a salesperson who's out on the road all the time and, and traveling hundreds of miles every day, you know, for the average person, myself included, you know, we're, we're not even school runs because we live around the corner from the school, but, you know, going to the shops or, or the occasional journey, we would probably have to charge the car once a fortnight, once every three weeks, not every day. So there's charge anxiety, there's range anxiety. So again, if I do get to a charging station, will it be working? Are there enough available? Are there any close to me? Um, so again, trying to help customers understand whether those things are true or not. And then I guess the other key barrier at the moment is cost. So an EV does cost more to buy for an equivalent model, because uh, as Rob said, the technology that's gone into that is, you know, the batteries themselves are new and, and expensive technologies until we get to mass scale, you know, to bring that cost back down to parity. And I believe the forecast originally was that by 2026, we would probably see we get to price parity, but various things, factors uh, will impact that. But the actual cost of running the car is close to being on par now because of fuel costs, efficiency of the battery, etc. So some of the things that people probably think are barriers probably aren't as big or at all um, as they look at things now. But again, it's a confusing space. It's a new type of vehicle. Where do you go to find the information? And again, that's what we're trying to do with or for our customers, both on the commercial and personal side, is is create tools, resources, information for people to make an informed decision. Otherwise, you're kind of at the mercy of what you see in the media, where you read things, and, and again, how how do you know if that is tested, scientific, proven information, or just some somebody's opinion on on what electric vehicles look, feel, and and, and do? Yeah, the news of Facebook. Uh, scaremongers quite a lot of stuff. What about premiums? Uh, is there a significant... I'm trying to think to the... We have two cars. One is a really, really old um, Ford Galaxy and one is a hybrid, which I know is not fully electric, but it was the the, the charge and range anxiety that made us go for hybrid. Um, the, and I'm trying to think if there's any difference in those uh, premiums. And I think there is. I think the, the the hybrid, but it's a newer car. So how much is it related to the fact that it's a newer car and not an old banger? Uh, and how much is related to the fact it's electric? Well, what, yeah, what we're seeing at the moment is definitely even for new vehicles, EVs are typically more expensive. And one of the base um, 
forgive me if I go into the weeds a bit too much here, but one of the base factors when pricing a vehicle is around the ABI insurance group rating of the vehicle. And that's not something that DLG or any of our competitors dictate. It comes from the, uh, the ABI, the Association of British Insurers. So you have something like a Ford Fiesta, brand new Ford Fiesta, uh, one litre petrol, probably going to be uh, a group eight the scale goes from one to 50 i should say also as well so it's going to be a group eight a base level ev something like a fiat 500 or a mini e is going to is 17 so already that base sort of factor that's built into the pricing of any sort of insurance product you have an inherent sort of higher starting place so that's that's one way, way that insurance costs make the evs more expensive at the moment. I think that's what kind of Steve touched on a minute ago in that because of the technology that goes into these EVs and, you know, we're not just talking about the fact that it's it's an EV that's a new emerging sort of technology, but it's all the kit that goes in the car as well. It's the, you know, all the sensors, all the, all the tracking. If your vehicle has ADAS, you know, um, or other safety features involved. This is all I'm additional cost to the vehicle. I'm just wondering about the Tesla fart sounds. Like, <laughs> who who put those in there, and how much additional premium does that uh, cost with those those uh, technology? Sorry, I went to a childish place there. <laughs> That's fine. I mean, admittedly, you know. That was probably, you know, I can see some Tesla, you know, IT engineer slipping that in on his lunch break for a joke. But, you know, um, all the, you know, the LiDAR that is built into Tesla and all the other components, because those sensors and components are built into all sorts of different parts of the vehicle that wouldn't necessarily have had those in the past. So you think about even like a... um, a windscreen on a, a petrol car typically doesn't have a lot going on in it in a more modern car even ice or ev you may have you know cameras or sensors that are built into that overall so safety and, and capability of the vehicle so for what was a 1500 pounds or less than that replacement of a wing mirror is now become you know, potentially thousands of pounds because of that sensor. And what you've got to factor in at the moment as well, and this is a very here and now issue, is around the delay, industry-wide delay of parts and, and you know, shipping costs and all sorts. So, you know, I think um, there's one manufacturer, not naming names, there's one manufacturer at the moment who they have a delay on a specific sensor in their vehicles, which is about 18 months at the moment. So if you if you damage one of those sensors, regardless of, of what else is going on within the market, they can't get you one within 18 months. So and that's that's a very, you know, immediate issue to do with, you know, the economics of, of the world at the moment, not necessarily not necessarily to do with EVs. So is there anything you want to add, Stephen, to that? So I think like Rob said, essentially cars are becoming computers on wheels so when you think about all of the kit in there so if you look at a tesla for example so what's quite interesting for insurers is if you look at a tesla it's got 360 cameras so and it's got technology that can you know instantly tell tesla that their car has been in an accident they can speak to the customer and make sure they're okay they've got footage which potentially could be crucial for first notification of loss which again is really important to insurers but what it then does start to ask the question of, 
well, how is that going to impact our processes? Traditionally, the insurer will want to have the first notification of loss in order to manage that claims efficiently for their customer as possible. But the cars themselves will be coming with technology, which is going to probably change how that's going to work. You know, you could see a scenario where a Tesla or an equivalent vehicle can identify there's been an accident, make sure the customer's okay, can tell you pretty much straight away what parts of the car have been damaged, pre-book the car in for repair, get the you know the items ordered and get the car back on the road really quickly. So so there's there's great opportunities with that technology. But as Rob said, the challenge at the moment is there's there's also a great cost with that. So if if something gets damaged, another example would be on some EVs, the charge point um, connection for the car is in the front on the front of the of the car and traditionally obviously cars will tend to have a front or rear accident so you can imagine before it would have just been like where you place the bumper now for those certain types of models if they have a front collision we've now got to change uh, a charge point connector as well which is an additional cost which wasn't there before so again it's just little things like this that we're learning as we go. Um, it's still a relatively small part of the car park, and and you know Rob is better placed than me to talk about this. But you know underwriters and and, and price uh, colleagues love data. They love surety of data. They love to be able to see what's happened in the past to help them predict what's happening in the future. And and for ICE vehicles, we have decades and decades worth of information. On EVs, it goes back to twenty thirteen, but it's tiny. So every month um, we're, we're learning uh, and there's so many more models of EV that are going to come out in the next three, four, five years. You know, we're seeing a massive increase. Um, certain manufacturers are only going to be delivering ICE vehicles from 2025, 2026 ahead of the legislation in, in 2030, which says you can no longer sell ICE vehicles. It has to be a, a plug-in, either hybrid or or petrol and therefore we're seeing we're going to see explosion not just in new models from people we know but more replicants of people like tesla so you've got rivian fisker um aura from china and, and other manufacturers so again we need to learn what do those cars look like how do they get driven what are the parts what's the supply chain all this kind of stuff that we'll learn as those cars come to market which we which we can't rely on past history to to tell us what's going to happen. I was about to say, presumably the 10 years of data that we've got or the nearly 10 years of data that we've got, um, there's an argument to say some of that data's uh, redundant because the changes from those 2013 EVs to the 2022 EVs. I mean, my, my uh, hybrid, I think we bought it in 2015, right, or 2016, something like that. I would imagine that it's unrecognizable to the cars being produced now. Like the range is about 30 miles an hour if I drive very, very sensibly. Um, and I always drive very sensibly. Uh, but, um, you know, so I'd imagine that that data is, is um, you can't rely wholeheartedly on it anyway. No, and, and, and you know, we work quite closely with um, Thatcham Research who, you know, are levied by the insurance industry to do a lot of work behind the scenes to, to kind of understand how these vehicles are put together and how it's the best way to repair them and the, the costs associated with them as well. And what we're seeing at the moment, there's, there's been a shift, especially with EVs in the, you know, Tesla for a long time were the only manufacturer who were building EVs from the ground up as EVs. We had a long period, you know, the Nissan Leaf arguably uh, was that as well, but that's been a sole sort of model in that line. But you had, you know, VW turning Golfs into EVs, the EV up, um, 
things like that where manufacturers were trying to basically take their current model or current vehicles, strip out the ICE components, put in the EV components and then sell that as an EV. So that's a very different proposition in terms of understanding how the vehicle is built and manufactured and how you repair it compared to when you have a manufacturer and which is what manufacturers are doing now is saying, well, actually, no, we're going to stop doing that. We're going to build cars from the ground up as EVs and that's they're going to be built purpose built for being EVs. And you see a completely different shift in how those vehicles are put together you know, structurally as well, in some models, the battery actually be- actually becomes a critical part of the structure, the actual structural integrity of that vehicle. Um, whereas before, it would have all just been a steel sort of frame and a chassis. So th- there's all sorts of things to consider and to keep evolving and, and changing. And kind of Steve touched on it as well a minute ago around there is a, a growing market in, chi- in China around EVs. And there's a lot of talk at the moment. I mean, you see it on things like fully charged and all sorts of talking about all this, all these different Chinese models of vehicles coming into the market. As a UK insurance industry, a UK market, we have no idea what those vehicles, how they're built, how they operate, what the repairs costs associated with them. So there is a lot of still of unknowns around in this in this area, and it is we are going through as an industry a, a huge shift and a huge learning curve in terms of understanding what what it means to to insure an EV, not only with the current car park, but the car park of the future as well. So, yeah. So can you talk to me about the shift on top of the shift? And I'm talking specifically around uh, ownership of vehicles to usership of vehicles. Yeah, of course. So... Traditionally, um, the motor market has been built around people wanting to own their vehicles. You know, you, you make a long-term commitment to, to owning a vehicle. And that's um, what we see at the moment within the EV space is there's, there's a conscious effort from the, the society to, you know, we know there's this mandate that by 2030 we need to be driving or only new EVs will be available to buy. Um, the problem is EVs are, are quite expensive at the moment um, uh, and affordable. Uh, the MG4 is probably considered the most affordable uh, small compact family car on the market at £26,000. So, but then there is also this um, thought process to say, well, you know, EVs, as we've talked about, are full of technology. You know, if I purchase an EV in three years' time, is that technology within the vehicle now redundant or is it, you know, no longer relevant? It's kind of much more this idea of iteration on EV models as opposed, you know, similar to your phone, your your iPhone or your, your Google Pixel or whatever. You know, they come out every year with a new model um, and you kind of reiterate or iterate on those models and, and you have consumers who will always get the new model so evs fall into that sort of category in terms of new tech and and there is and, and mixed with the affordability angle is well well how is the most cost effective and affordable way for me to drive a new vehicle and that's where this usership model comes into play and we're seeing the rise in you know the heavy rise in subscription models you've got the likes of onto or elmo 
um, playing in this space where you can essentially have a vehicle on a month-by-month -month basis, it's a bit like your Netflix account or, or whatever you use. You pay that monthly premium and you have access to a vehicle. What you can also do with those is one month you might say, well, actually, um, I normally have my, my Nissan Leaf for driving around the city. Actually, it's the summer holidays. We're going to go on a drive up to Scotland. I'd prefer a larger car this month. I'll pay a bit extra and I'll subscribe to a, to a larger, you know, family SUV type vehicle to do that journey. So what we're seeing at the moment is there's a lot of buzz in this market. Ourselves as DLG, um, we're very keen to play in this space and that we have been for many years at this point. Um, we, we historically insured Drover uh, and then Kazoo with their subscription service and that gave us a huge ability to, to learn in that space. So um, we, we um, still insure Kazoo um, and their back book and we're looking to kind of explore those avenues. One of the largest spaces that's been growing and it is being specifically targeted for EVs is, is around salary sacrifice. So one of the key uh, drivers for that is the government's uh, benefit in kind um, for those vehicles, those types of vehicles. So for an EV at the moment, you pay 2% benefit in kind tax for an EV vehicle on a salary sacrifice scheme, whereas on an ICE vehicle, you can pay up to, in I think it's about 45% tax on a vehicle like that. So it something like that, which is available to most employers, um, you can uh, uh, enable your employees to have access to um, affordable or certainly a more affordable ways of accessing EVs at the moment. And is that, that you can take those... Sorry, Rob, is that 2% regardless of the type, whether you've got a Nissan Leaf or a Tesla? Correct. Interesting. So Sorry. It, it was it was 1%. It was 1% up until the start of this year, and then it became 2%. It's uh, now 2% until the end of 2005. Um, and I think uh, Mr. Hunt... 2005? Will be, sorry, 2025, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, then, and then Mr. Hunt said that it will be 3% for the following year, um, four percent and five percent year on year to 2028 so even you know you look out into the future now that's six years time you're still going to be paying a maximum in 2028 of five percent tax on an ev vehicle that you get through a salary for sacrifice scheme so you know that that far outweighs you know other salary sacrifice benefit and kind tax that outweighs vat that outweighs, um, and, you know, that that is the most cost-effective and affordable way to get yourself into an EV vehicle at the moment, and um, we we've kind of recognised that as as a business, and we've put a lot of effort into building uh, our relationships within that salary sacrifice industry. So obviously, you've got a lot of um, players in that space, a lot of lease vehicle leasing companies, and we. The, the beauty of the salary sacrifice scheme as well, similar to subscription, which I should have probably mentioned earlier, is that all you you pay a fixed monthly price for your vehicle and you have everything generally included other than the, the electricity you put into the vehicle. So that's the insurance, that's the you know, the maintenance, 
the um, the tax or the, the well there will be tax on EVs uh, as of 2025 um, and, 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 and so all you do is you pay your fixed monthly price you put your electricity in it and away you go so what we do both with the subscription and the salary sacrifice stuff is we offer the insurance proportion of that package with our partners so we, we work with those subscription providers those salary sacrifice providers and we work to to embed our insurance within those products um, and we're seeing um, an awful lot of interest and growth in that space um, at the moment which is um, and the, the the good thing for us as well you know is that they it runs well for us as well uh, compared to traditional fleet as well so um, it, it's it's going well at the moment I think I think it's fascinating. I've I've learned a lot uh, just in this conversation, so I'm grateful to you. I think perhaps um, a good uh, sort of overall uh, um, sort of ending question is is predominantly for you, Stephen. But I think Rob, you might have something to add to it. Is and you you have just added to it. What um, what are you guys doing as a business, both in personal lines and you've mentioned a bit around the commercial space to help people? with the transition that's coming over the next, I call it seven, 10 years? So great question. So our EV team that I, that I sit in, um, we were formed about a year ago. Um, so whilst we've been pricing, underwriting and, and insuring EVs for close to a decade, you know, the personal growth of that started probably in earnest, maybe about a year, 18 months ago. And we, and we decided as a business, it's time to give it some real focus. Uh, as we could see the growth that was happening. So year on year, electric car volumes are doubling in, in, in terms of the numbers of being registered. Uh, and when we looked at it from a personal lines perspective, ultimately for the customer, when they're looking at policy, nothing really changes other than a few key components. So clearly things like cables and battery cover. So customers want to know those things are covered uh, and, and they are within our policy. So from a consumer perspective, they still want their car fixed, repaired, replaced if something goes wrong. So when they're looking at a policy, nothing's really changing in that space. All of the innovation is kind of coming behind the scenes. So as Rob has, has, has touched on earlier, understanding how we manage the repair process, the claims, the cost, all that kind of stuff is, is happening in the background. And that's kind of where we and our competitors will be innovating in the background to, to make sure we get those costs Um to a, to a point where we can manage and, and make sure premiums are, are affordable for customers and not a barrier to getting into an EV when you're making that decision. So how we're then helping customers is trying to innovate around the insurance policies. So it's about, um, I guess, trying to give them some direction, some surety, some um, help to make the important decisions, which they probably wouldn't have made before. So when you buy an ICE vehicle, you just buy an ICE vehicle, park it outside your house and you don't really think about it. With EVs, now your house and your car are connected in a way that wouldn't have happened before. And suddenly your fuel is not petrol, but it's the same electricity that's, that's warming your house, potentially, or driving your TV and all that kind of stuff. So you're having to think about, right, how do I charge that car? And, and I remember me and Rob went to fully charge live. That was our kind of first foray into trying to understand the EV market. And we kind of went along to their Farnborough show and we were kind of blown away because it was way bigger than we probably thought it was going to be. And we realized that, wow, this is this is really big already, but it's also really confusing. So when you were there, there were probably 50 or 60 different people telling you that their little box that you stick on the side of your house as your charge point is better than the other 59 that are in the room. 
And you're kind of like, well, how as a customer do I navigate those types of things? So that's where we're trying to innovate alongside the insurance policies to say we understand that this could be a confusing decision process. You've not done this before. Um, and, you know, for example, sort of December last year, through a subscription like Rob has described, I had an a VWID three for a month because how can I help customers if I don't understand the process they're going through? So I had that for a month to experience on the road charging because I didn't have a charge point at home. So yes, I didn't have an EV myself. Um, and then trying to navigate that is, was, was quite difficult. And my experience versus my wife's experience was, was slightly different in terms of some of the challenges she, she found with the charging and stuff. So that's what we're trying to do, I think, is, is the bundle gives Direct Line customers a, a bit of a step forward, an intro into the world and, and help with some of the key components they need to, to select. And then for our other brands, yeah, we're, we're going to try and, and, and innovate around that space as well. So there's some things we're going to have in the pipeline. At how do we help Churchill customers and privileged customers and Darwin customers go on that same journey? Albeit, they go through a different purchasing journey because on Direct Line, as you know, you can only come and buy that policy through our direct website so we can give you a whole wealth of information as you go through that buying process. With those other brands, a lot of our customers will buy through a price comparison website. So it's a different journey. We don't have the same um, real estate in order to describe things in the buying journey, but we can put things in place to help them once they become our customer and then how we help them inform because we know, you know we've got circa 4 million people that are insured with us. They're not all going to transition to an EV in the next six, 12 months, but they're probably a high proportion of them are going to by the time we get to 2030. So how do we then help those customers by, I guess, being a trusted brand and, and supporter in terms of providing their insurance today? Um, so therefore, hopefully, they will be a trusted to help them on that journey as they make that transition. And ultimately, you know, I guess we believe that, you know, clean air is the ultimate benefit of all this. Um, and therefore, if we can help our customers make that transition, that's good for them, good for us, but also then good for, I guess, the wider environment and, and all the good stuff that comes in that space as well. Absolutely. Is there anything you want to add, Rob? Yeah, so I think, I think um, in terms of what we're doing to, to help with that transition, from, from my perspective, is that what we're seeing at the moment certainly within the personal lines or the, the personal insurance space that the, the adoption of evs is far more advanced than, than those of businesses obviously you've got a lot of businesses out there who have a fleet of vehicles which are all ice that transition to evs is going to be something that is potentially slower and more gradual um, as time goes on you know, there's, there's additional considerations to, to take into account for companies making that switch. You know, you're not just talking about one vehicle on your drive and your charger at home charging that vehicle. You're potentially talking a fleet of 10, 20, 30, hundreds of vehicles needing to be charged at a depot. Um, and how are you going to make that transitional switch to EVs? So what we're what we're looking to do at the moment, I mean, we've we've done a lot already in order to amend our wording, you know, Steve Steve mentioned as well around the, the personalized wording is very similar to commercial wording around, you know, we've already put in liability cover for charging cables, for slips and trips for charging cables. The cable is covered as an accessory of the vehicle now, so if it's stolen, then there's, there's cover for that. But it's, it's all about how we can tangibly um, assist 
as well with that transition to those vehicles. So, you know, what we're looking at um, is Steve mentioned around the, um, the bundle that we offer for our personalized customers. Can we do something similar for our commercial customers to aid them in that transition, but much more commercially focused? Um, what we're also looking at is, you know, potentially offering some sort of bespoke a product for companies who are looking to um, electrify their fleets. So a lot of smaller businesses may well have one or two or three vehicles that are currently registered to directors. I've already mentioned about the cost uh, or the tax benefits associated with switching to EV. So if a company makes that decision and they want to electrify their fleet and insure it as a fleet, there's a challenge there because they may well have been insuring those vehicles on a on a personal basis, on a no claims bonus basis. When you move across to a fleet policy, that doesn't transfer the NCD. Um, some insurers will make considerations, but it's not a like for like um, kind of. You, you can't take your fifty percent discount and plonk it onto a fleet policy. It's not how it works. So um, it's it's how we can and and a lot of fleet uh, insurers will have you know, quite adverse rating factors for, for brand new fleets with no experience. So if we actually want to drive people into that, excuse the pun, into that market of, of EVs and driving EVs, and they may not have that experience, what can we do to, to help them not only from a pricing perspective, but also from a, you know, a transitional and, and an adoption perspective as well. So these are all things we're kind of exploring um, and, and I think ultimately what's key as well, we talked about subscription, is that although that is a commercial product for and a fleet policy for an entity, for your Elmos, your Kazoos, your Ontos, that's a fleet policy that they are the policyholder of. The end user is an individual like me or you, and there's a challenge sometimes that individual feels that the, the cover and the way they are treated as that individual should be akin to a personalized policy. And there's a, maybe there's a learning there sometimes around, well, they're not actually the insured. They're not the policyholder of that insurance policy. You're just driving a vehicle of the of who's owned by the policyholder. So there's, there's other things in which how can we help that transition? Because one of the, the key challenges around subscription is, you know, um, like if you drive anyone who's driven a company car potentially for a long period of time is you, you, you will lose your NC. NCB or NCD for no claims when you drive that vehicle because you you're no longer the the insured individual of that vehicle and that's the same for the subscription and I think it's really interesting because it's all the little things that you wouldn't perhaps initially consider um I, I like your point about am I the insured or am I just a driver and there's a learning around that perhaps on both parties um, so, no, I think it's really, really fascinating. One of the things that you've both touched on is this um, way in which you are supporting your either personal lines client base or, or commercial client base. And I think one of the themes that's come out of this or the, one of the things that I'm thinking is really, really beneficial is the education part. So the, the, the burst of education around, right, um, my name's Rob or my name's Steve. I've just driven an electric car for the last month. My wife's told me this. 
I've told me this and my overview is that this, this and this worked for me and this is where the challenges were. Let me help you solve those challenges in very short kind of bursts. So hopefully this podcast will be uh, a value to the, to the, the you know, the people that, that, um, that you guys both support because because you've given me a lot of information in it, both as a, as a, as a business owner. I'm about to go and speak to my husband about his uh, salary sacrifice uh, car scheme. So I'm really, really grateful to you both. Thank you so much uh, for your time. And uh, I would love to have you both back on the podcast at some point in the future to hear how and why this is going. Thanks, Sarah. I'd love to. Happy to come back. Thank you very much for having us. Thanks for listening to the Insurance Brokers Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to subscribe on your chosen podcast streaming platform and check us out on YouTube.